come to chapter 15. I believe in class you looked at some passages from 14, 15, and 16. But today we want to read a portion out of verse out of chapter 15 that many scholars feel to be the kind of pinnacle of what John is telling us about Jesus. Now, each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, build toward telling the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection, and that certainly is the climax of the story of Jesus. But as they build toward that, each one kind of does it in a different way and makes a different point. Well, John has been working toward this point. This is what he wants us to know about the mission of Jesus. Let's be standing, please, as we hear the words that John recorded from his Savior Jesus. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. May God bless the reading of his word. All right, I want to start out by talking to you Facebook folks out there, okay? Um, Do you know how many friends you have on Facebook? Approximately. How many of you have at least 100 friends on Facebook? All right, that's good. What about 500 friends on Facebook? Okay. A thousand? Oh, okay, all right. I was talking to a guy the other day in Abilene, one of the profs at the GST, that, that has 6,000 friends on Facebook. And thought, wow, that's a lot of people. I want, I want to ask you guys, those of you who have several hundred people on Facebook, is there anyone on that list that you're not really sure who they are? Okay. You know, you, maybe you think, but not real sure who that person is. Well, the point is that we throw this word friend around rather casually. Uh, A friend can mean a lot of things. A friend can mean someone that wants to be on our Facebook page and we say, okay. It can mean someone we kind of know. It it can mean someone that we sort of like. All the way down in those circles, which I believe on Facebook you put people in circles, don't you? You know, that's I, I, I just... Would hate to see uh, see who's you know put me in their inner I don't know I don't, I don't want to know that anyway uh, we come all the way down and finally that inner circle and those are our close friends and those are our best friends those are our real friends we we kind of have to add other words to it don't we to let people know that 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 is the that's the group that we really really feel close to. Well, now, in Jesus' day, in the first century, and for those centuries surrounding that, that wasn't true. You didn't use the word friend unless you were talking about one of that inner circle group. You saved that word. 
It was a special word. And therefore, if you pulled that word out, the person that heard that word knew, wow, we are really close. Now, Jesus had reserved that word and the verb that goes along with it. He hadn't used it too much in his ministry. There are two guys that Jesus identifies as friends. One of them is John, the author of the gospel, the beloved disciple, the friend of Jesus. And the other one we talked about not long ago. Does anyone remember who the other person that up to this point has been described as a friend of Jesus? Lazarus. Good job. I don't know who said that, but you're right. Lazarus was in that inner circle. Now, that doesn't mean there weren't others, but those are the only two that Jesus has, as far as uh, the written word, that has trotted out that kind of language to describe. And now he's about to bestow it on his disciples. Now, that is another thing that's kind of odd here because disciple is a specialized word too. If you became someone's disciple, then you attached yourself to that person. They were your master. You were their servant. They were your teacher. You were the student. And to become someone's disciple meant that you were going to follow that person around. You were going to live in proximity to that person. You were going to listen to that person. You were going to adopt that person's worldview. And, and you were just going to see things the way that person saw things. Teachers, philosophers had disciples. But a teacher did not call disciples friends. Because friend was something else. Friend was someone that you felt a bond with that was on the deepest level possible. Now, the ancient philosophers talked about this, and I want to give you a little bit of the thinking of primarily Aristotle because that's important because his thinking on friendship is what had shaped all these guys that are now listening to Jesus talk to them. That's what they thought about friendship. Because these philosophers had put this language out there and it had kind of defined what a friend was. So what does Aristotle say that a friend is? Aristotle says, first of all, that friendship is strongly connected with life itself. He made some statements like, there's really no meaning in life if you don't have friends. If you don't have those people that you are really that close to, then you really have trouble and difficulty finding a path through life and really finding a reason to live. Now, the corollary to that is that if you love someone that much, if you have found some people in your life that you feel that close to, that they actually give meaning to your life, then you are willing to lay down your life, to give your life for that person. That if a situation arose to where a choice had to be made between that person living and you living, that you love them enough that you would step in the way and that you would give your life for that person. 
Do you see how serious this friendship thing is? You know, we talk about having lots of friends, but when you get it down to that circle, and I hope you have that circle, that within your relationships, that there is that group of people that if you could imagine a situation where you were called upon to have to defend that person and to sacrifice your own life, you would immediately do it because you love that person that much. The second thing that Aristotle said about friendship is that friends talk openly with each other. That a friend is someone that you can reveal yourself to. That you don't have to, to just let them see the good sides of you. That you are, are, are able to just say, here's who I am and this is what I am and this is what I think. He talks about that friends don't flatter each other. You know, you don't just say little things in order to get something out of someone. You don't say things you don't mean. You know? But on the other hand, neither do friends undermine each other. They don't pick at each other. They don't make each other and bring each other down in any way. But rather, they are frank and open. They speak of their love. They speak of encouragement. And they also will even speak of rebuke if that is necessary, if you love someone enough to say, you know, I think you need to look at this again. The Greeks had a word for that. They called it parousia. And that word appears quite often in Scripture and is usually translated boldness or openness. Today, I think we would call it transparency. Just that ability to know that you're safe with this person And even if you say something maybe not quite like you want to say it, it'll be okay. And even if something slips out that maybe is not the most flattering thing about you, it'll be okay because you can be parousia with them. You can be open. And finally, the third thing that Aristotle described about real friendship is that friends have all things in common. In fact, he said that. He said that among friends, all possessions, all things are held in common. He said that it doesn't matter to you if if you have something and your friend needs it or needs to use it, it's theirs. That's just the way it is. It doesn't matter what it is, it's available to your friends. And you know that anything that your friend has, that if you needed that, that it would be available to you as well. In fact... He goes on to say that friendship is like one soul living in two bodies. That it's really that deep and that level of sharing. Now, I hope you have a circle of friends that you could say, yeah, I understand that. With this person and this person and this person, that's the way it is. Now, I know that some of that is family. I hope spouse fits into that. But there are also others that just because you have found each other in this journey of life, and for some reason your souls are bound together, then you call that person a real and true friend. Now, I wanted us to go through that, and some of that y'all probably already knew anyway. Because I want you to hear once again what Jesus says to his disciples 
when he decides deliberately to trot this heavy word out. It's not a light thing. He didn't just send a friend request to their Facebook page. You know, he is saying, this is what I'm talking about. This is how I feel about you. And notice how he chooses his language in a very deliberate way so that he hits all these points about friendship. The first one, giving your life. He just says that, doesn't he? He comes right out and says that. He says, no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends. Now, I know at this point the disciples are not quite seeing what's about to happen. But Jesus knows what's about to happen. He talked about it all the way back in chapter 10 of John where he says that that I have the power to lay down my life. It's not going to be taken from me. I am going to give it willingly. Hadn't quite built up to saying friend yet, but here it is now. And he wants his disciples to hear that he is not just being lied about this. He's not just saying something that, that is just nice talk. You are my friends, and I am willing to die for you. He goes on to say then, he says, I don't call you servants anymore or even disciples anymore. Because a servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I am telling you everything. Everything that my father has told me, I now tell you. And in fact, in in chapter 16, in verses 25 and then in 29, that little word parousia actually comes out. When he says, friends, I am talking with you openly, transparently. And they say, we know you are. Because we feel it too. And finally, he goes on to say that we have all things in common. He says, whatever you ask in my name. You know, I'm your friend. And if you use my name, then you will have it. In his prayer that he's going to pray after this talk, he prays to God that he and his friends may be one, just as he and the Father are one. That's what Jesus means when he looks at them and says, you're my friends. That is the depth of his feeling. That is the depth of the bond that he feels with them. And he feels it with us as well. Two things I want to carry away from this passage. One is the knowledge of how much Jesus loves me in order to call me a friend. Every Veterans Day, Memorial Day, when I start thinking about people that have been in the service and the stories I've heard, and don't hear a lot of those stories. I I know with my dad, he was in several major major battles in World War II, the Battle of the Bulge, Anzio Beach. And, And for many years, he didn't talk about those things because they were just too deep to talk about. But I hear stories of people who have been in battle, and one has always stayed with me. I even remember the guy's name. I don't know him. I saw him on television. His name was Wayne Anderson. And uh, he had been injured uh, in the battle just as the, as the, the uh, Allied troops had crossed into Germany. And he was 
fighting there on the front lines and a grenade hit close to him and a piece of shrapnel went into his head. And I remember that he showed the interviewer the indention in the side of his head where that piece of shrapnel had gone in. And he continued talking and the guy said, well, how did you survive such a terrible wound? And he said, well, of course, it knocked me unconscious, but when I came to, I became aware that I had fallen in an area that was vulnerable to a German machine gun. And I could see it over there, I could hear it over there, and I knew it was just a matter of time until it hit me. He said, but at that same time then, I also heard a familiar voice, a voice of a man that had become my friend, a voice of a man that we had sat and talked with about home and about all that we dreamed for our life ahead, a man that I had come to know truly as one who would do anything he could for me. I heard his voice. I felt him turn me over so he could see if I were still alive. And when he found that I was still breathing, he immediately threw himself on top of me. And the machine gun sprayed them, and he died and not Wayne. Now, you've heard stories like that. Stories like that touch our hearts. We've got to know that it's at that level that Jesus is serious when he calls us friends because he did the same thing for us. Another story I just heard yesterday. I had one, another one I was going to tell, and I heard this one. I was watching you know, pregame f- for football. What do you do on Saturday morning except wait for football to start? Yeah, so I was watching ESPN, and they were giving all this. And, and they, they interviewed a young man who is the oldest freshman playing major college football this year. He plays wide receiver for Clemson. He's like five foot eight, weighs like a buck 60, you know. He's not not your typical wide out for a major college football team. But they were talking to him. His name is Daniel Rodriguez. And the reason that he is a freshman at the age of 24 is because he's also a veteran and that he served several tours of duty And the last one was in Afghanistan. And when he was in Afghanistan, he was stationed out on a remote area there with a few of his other buddies. And they were overrun one night by 300 Taliban. And they fought for eight hours. And eight of the people in that group of American servicemen were killed. And one of them was Daniel's closest friend. He was wounded, received a bronze star and a a purple heart, and was sent home. And when he got home, he said life, well, he said life was hell. Can I say that up here? Okay. He said he was miserable. He he, he just was, he could, and, and some of you may have had those same feelings after your service. Some of you may have known others that had that kind of trauma. And he was going nowhere. He said he was really slipping into heavy alcohol usage because he just had to numb the pain some way. He had to sleep some way. And then one night, he recalled that just about a week before the attack, he and his good buddy had been sitting up through the night on watch, and they were talking Parousia, openly, and talking about what their dreams were. And when they got out of this place, they were going to go back home and they were not going to let anything stop them 
from following their dream. And they shared what those dreams were, and Daniel told him that he really wanted to play college football. Now, for a 5'8", 160 guy to admit that, so that, you know, that's kind of vulnerable, isn't it? And the friend encouraged him, you can do it. You can do it. You can go and do that. Promise me that when we get back home, you will follow that dream. He said, when I remembered that, I had to do it. I had to do what my friend wanted me to do. I had to be the person that my friend was calling me to be. Two things I take away. One is that we have a friend that loved us enough to die for us. And that we need to stop and think at times how deep that love is. That it wasn't just theology, but it is really a real bond between me and him. And the second thing I take away is that because he's my friend, I want to do what he wants me to do. And I want to be the person that he has called me to be. I pray that you claim Jesus as your friend and that you are thankful that you have a friend that died for you and that you will leave this place and go out and make that friend proud. Let's stand and sing.